Thank you. What a great place to be. And it's great the sun's come out. I'd like to turn to the book of Acts, please. Book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. And uh, Peter said, when we look at the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this session, which I'm very, very happy to do, and we do that don't, not just kind of explaining verses, but with a view to, if you've not been filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit uh, immediately. Uh, because, as we'll see, the Holy Spirit is available and we can come and drink. And uh, maybe God will answer some of the questions you may have as we look at this theme together. So we're just going to read the first uh, eight verses of uh, Acts chapter 1, where Luke records what he wrote in his first writing, which was the Gospel of Luke. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he'd been, after by the Holy Spirit, been given orders to the apostles whom he'd chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed in his own authority. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Father, we thank you for your word. We bless you for its light and power. We thank you so much for already awakening our thirst in this opening session, Lord, that we want to emulate... uh, Bartimaeus is longing for God. Lord, you've heard some of our cries, even as we've cried out to you. In the Holy Spirit, we just want to come on the back of that right now and say, Lord, would you please open our understanding? Would you please come with power, Lord? Help me to explain, help me to proclaim. And Lord, help us to receive with joy and faith. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just concluding reading through Mark's Gospel in my own uh, devotional reading. And when you see the condition of the disciples that Jesus uh, finished with after three years, you don't really think these guys are ready to take on the world. Uh, You find the chief one having uh, said, if the others forsake you, I never will. And having been warned by Jesus, look, watch and pray, Peter, you are heading for trouble. And Peter's saying, I'm doing fine, thank you. And then you find the story of how uh, just a little girl says to him, you're with him, aren't you? Aren't you one of them? And it says, he called down a curse upon himself and continually denied that he had anything to do with Jesus. And it says they all forsook him. And you think, the future of the church lies with these people? It's just amazing. And no wonder people have said that Acts 1 and verse 8 is the key to the understanding of the book of Acts. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And really you can't explain the phenomenal growth of the church and all its history since without that verse. You can't understand how such a group of cowards, uh, guys who were lusting for position before, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left? Would you have my two boys? Let them be with you. And it's even just after Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. It's like, oh, forget that. Can we be on your right hand? You think, oh, these guys are hopeless. And Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the radical, radical change that's going to come in their lives. Now, when Jesus said that to them, of course, with their Jewish background, they uh, understood what that meant. It wasn't like a new idea. Wow, Holy Spirit coming on. That's a weird thing. No, no. They had their Bible background. They knew what happened when Gideon, for instance, the fearful Gideon, who's hiding away, uh, uh, working with the, uh, the wheat in a cave uh, secretly. And it says God came to him and spoke to him. And this is the Spirit came upon Gideon and he was transformed. You read about the Spirit came upon King David as, as a boy. The Spirit came on him and he became mighty. When the Spirit, we read about Samson, the Spirit came upon him. You even read about Moses being told, lay hands on Joshua so that the spirit that's upon you might go upon him. We know the story of Elijah when he was taken up to heaven and his disciple Elisha said, look, if I'm going to carry on doing what you started, I've got to have the power you had. It's very easy for him to understand that I've got to have what you have. You say I've got to continue, I need what you have and kept pursuing Elijah until he got the promise. If you see me going, you will receive. And this Old Testament story then repeated again and again of ordinary people phenomenally transformed when the Spirit came upon them. It's there. It's part of their culture. It's part of their history. They understand such things. And maybe even the story of Moses when he says, I can't carry this load alone anymore and God says right choose some 70 guys and the 70 are chosen and God says I'll take some of the spirits on you Moses and put it on the 70 and that day comes and even two of them you may remember the story El Dad and Me Dad they fail to be in the group but nevertheless the spirit that was on Moses comes on them and they prophesy and even El Dad and Me Dad who are not in the right place they get the coming of the Spirit upon them, they prophesy. And, and clearly, in their history, these Jewish people understood, yeah, that's what happened when the Spirit comes upon people. And so, yeah, it's not a completely new idea. It's an idea that is full of Scripture. Not only that, even Jesus himself, after 30 years of pure devotion, growing in wisdom, growing in the knowledge of his call, etc. It says that of him when he was still a boy. And yet when he came to age 30, the Spirit came upon him. And that's what Simon Peter understood when he said in Acts 10, 38, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and the Holy Spirit. And so this concept of the Spirit coming upon people is a very, very biblical one. Now for us, we might think, well, where does, where does that put me? I know for myself as a young Christian, uh, having first of all somewhat, well, terribly backslid, but then tried to serve God, came back to God, and feeling limitations, thinking, God, surely, how can I do the things that I feel I want to do now? I feel so inept. I feel powerless. 
you know, how do I get to be what you want me to be? And I began to wonder, is there more? I've been converted, I've been saved six years, now I've kind of given myself to God in a more clear-cut way, but where's the power? And uh, I began to read and wonder about the Holy Spirit, and as I did, it looked to me that there were three or four different views of the Christian's experience of the Holy Spirit that were current. The first one was kind of seemed to be a classic evangelical view, namely, when you got saved, you got everything. That's it. And uh, full of the Spirit, well, that's something that happens gradually, and as you grow in grace, uh, as you become more and more mature, you will gradually uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But uh, in terms of what, you know, the, the, the deal, you've got it. What you've got is it. You're there. And uh, so, okay, I read that. It didn't satisfy me much, but I, I saw what was being said. And then there were others which, uh, at the time, not quite so prominent now, but was a, a kind of Keswick teaching, which was associated with uh, the old Keswick Convention, which had this kind of teaching with it, that you become a Christian, and then gradually you go through, and you may come to a kind of crisis, where you hand over your life to God, and at that time, he comes to meet you with the Holy Spirit. And it was kind of surrender. You surrender, and you'll find if you read uh, the kind of sermons that those people uh, produced and have produced over decades, you'll find this illustration very, very common. Empty out the glass, and in as much as you empty the glass, God will fill it. So being full of the Spirit is a kind of sanctification thing. You, you hand over, you empty out your life, and God comes into the, the space you leave, as it were. And that's, that became pretty popular teaching. Uh, that was quite well known. And then there seemed to be another teaching, which I'll call Pentecostal. And I'm talking about back in the 60s, which is... Uh, prior to what's become famously the charismatic movement. So I'm thinking, where am I? And the Pentecostals seem to be saying, yes, there is another experience. You wait, you tarry, you may go to a tarrying meeting, and wait until you speak with tongues, then you've got it, like the day of Pentecost. And they seem to be unique, that's what the Pentecostals said, and my pastor said they're wrong, and... Uh, you know, so that was another teaching that was out there. So you think, well, these different teachings, and wow, God, how do you get through this? And uh, some of the, you know, you look at someone like John Stott, who you greatly admire, and he's saying you've got everything. And then you read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who you also greatly admire, and say, seek for the Spirit. You think, uh, uh, why don't these guys agree? Help a poor fool like me to find the way through. And I got confused. And... Uh, so I started seeking what it says in the Bible. And we're just going to do a little look at what happened. Now I would suggest to you that what happened to the original 12 or 120 is a bit unique in that they lived right through the cross, the resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit. They lived through it. And so they're a bit different to us. We didn't live through it. Uh, Jesus said to them in John 15, You are clean through the word I've spoken to you. He sent them out on his behalf. It looks like they're Christians, but they still had to wait for the Spirit. But to be honest, they lived through all the events. So they're a bit different to us. But if you look at other people who received the Spirit later, in the book of Acts, you can see what actually happened. 
Now again, some people say you don't get doctrine from narrative. You get doctrine from teaching passages, not from stories. That's what some people would say. Uh, that's wrong. All right? This needs to be told that is wrong. But it's commonly held. Some people say, oh, you don't look at Acts to get doctrine. That's stories. No, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for, and among other things, doctrine. And even in 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul is reminding uh, the church of what happened, described in Exodus and Numbers and all that, he says to them, this was written down for your instruction. It happened to them as instruction. These narrative stories are instructive. And if we don't read the book of Acts, what we've got is the Gospels that say, John the Baptist says, he will baptize you with the Spirit. I baptize with water, he will. Jesus says, the Spirit will come. Then you read the epistles and it says, you received the Spirit. So the Gospels are looking forward saying it's going to happen. The epistles look back saying it has happened. And you're left saying, oh, we're not allowed to look at Acts to see how it happened. <laughs> That's foolishness. Acts tells you how it happened. That's how you understand the whole New Testament coming together. It's the same with water baptism. None of the epistles tell you to get baptized in water. They assume it's already happened. It's written to Christians. And so we need to understand, we need to see what happened in the book of Acts. And just draw out a few principles. That's what I'd like to do with you. Ask it some questions. Challenge some of the views that are common out there and see, do they, do they line up with what actually happened? And so we know the story of what happened with uh, the day of Pentecost. Just quickly to refer to it, I won't spend a lot of time with that because we're very familiar with it. And it happened to these who lived through the whole thing. But you know, in Acts 2, they all were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. They spilled out from there, where they were, uh, the upper room, uh, into the street. Uh, it seems like they continually beginning to praise God, speak wonderful works of God, and people can hear them, and uh, they begin to uh, address the crowd. And Peter says to the Jewish crowd there, and these people from many languages, probably Jews, who have gathered to Jerusalem for the big Passover and Pentecost events, uh, and also devout men, that means proselytes, people who had taken up the Jewish faith, although they may not themselves be Jews, but they've come from all around the Mediterranean, they speak all these different languages, they've filled Jerusalem, and they hear Peter stand up, and he says this in verse 33, of Acts 2, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. Now I'm just taking one verse of a whole sermon, but he's saying, because the people said, what's with these people? Are they drunk? What's this noise? What's going on? How come we can hear all these languages? And Peter says, no, no, no. And he gives an explanation, but this is the heart of it, that Jesus has ascended and has received from the Father the promised 
Holy Spirit. It's like his coronation gift. He has ascended. The, the gates have opened. He's come in. He's received the promised spirit and is sent forth, as he said he would, in John's Gospel, chapters 14, 15, 16. He said, the Spirit's coming. When the Spirit comes, he keeps on about it in that last section. The Spirit is going to come. You may remember that John the Baptist introduced Jesus, and it's referred to in every Gospel and in the book of Acts, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's promised a, a, a time is coming, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus was introduced. He is the one, he's the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, John the Baptist said. He's also the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now that is identifying Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament promise. We just need to remember that, that uh, in the Old Testament, it was isolated individuals who got filled with the Spirit. Usually prophets, or kings, or priests. They were special. They were isolated. They were occasional. So suddenly, wow, Samson is full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so these guys stood out. They were unique. They were charismatic figures that had charisma on them. The gift of God was on them. But then Joel said, the prophet Joel said, a time will come, says the Lord, when I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So there's going to come, Joel says, a day the messianic age, the, what Paul calls in Corinthians, the, a, the dispensation of the Spirit. And so there's coming a deluge of the Spirit. There's coming a pouring out. Isaiah talks about when the Spirit is poured out from on high. Not like over just an individual like Elijah, but on the whole crowd. All of us, sons, daughters, old and young, male, female. And then Jesus is introduced. He's the one. He's going to bring this outpouring of the Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now it's fascinating that when you read the Gospels, he having been introduced that way, that Jesus says very little about the Holy Spirit most of the time. He gets on with the job, but he doesn't say a lot about the Spirit, especially when you think that's how John introduced him. But what he does say, he says at one point, I have a baptism. No, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how shut in or constrained I am until that's accomplished. In other words, I've got to go through a baptism that is for him, of course, his cross, his death. I have to go through. I have, if you like, I have to be the Lamb of God first. Then I can be the one who gives the Holy Spirit. I have to do this first. And so Jesus has done this. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is explaining this Jesus. Now look, he is ascended. He has received from the Father the Holy Spirit. Now it's happened. He's poured out the Spirit. But he's not only explaining what has happened to them. He also says in verse 39 of Acts 2, the promise is for you, he's saying to his hearers, and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So Jesus, on big problem, Peter is saying to this crowd, what we've got, 
When you're saying, what is it? Well, this is what it is, and the promise is to you. Repent. Be baptized. You shall receive the promise of the Spirit, because the promise is for you. And so he's telling these people, the Holy Spirit is accessible. It's happened. The day of the Spirit has come. So that's what happens on the day of Pentecost, and it says uh, what took place on that occasion. Then you'll find, and this is where we can plug in a bit more, to be honest, when the gospel begins to move out from Jerusalem and on from the day of Pentecost, you'll see what happens in other places. I'm going to show you every place where it's recorded. There's about four other places. So Acts chapter 8 is the first one. Acts chapter 8, it says that Philip, the evangelist, went down to Samaria and began preaching the gospel. And we'll just come right to the heart of it. Verse 12 of Acts 8. When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So here is a number of people who, if they gave you their testimony, say, I got saved when Philip preached the gospel. And so they get saved. Verse 14 when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw the Spirit bestowed through the laying on of Paul's hands, he offered money. So here you've got people, and this will be their testimony. I got saved when I believed the gospel that Philip preached. He baptized me. Now that makes them clear Christians. Then the good news gets, the news gets to Jerusalem, to the apostles. Hey, they're getting saved in Samaria. So they send down the apostles who lay hands on them, and the Spirit comes upon them. For he had not yet fallen upon them. Right? So they were saved, but the Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. But the Spirit did fall upon them when hands were laid upon them. So their testimony would be, saved one day, filled with the Spirit, what, a week later? However long it takes to get the news and the walk, and people coming back up, they got filled with the Spirit some days later. Next one, what I'm going to do is quickly go through them and then pull out some common uh, points about each one. All right, so next one is one that's often overlooked, namely the Apostle Paul himself. Paul is converted on the Damascus Road, the most famous conversion, I guess, in history. And uh, he tells his story two or three more times in the book of Acts, and he, he just talks about, I was saved on the Damascus Road. No question about it. That's where he got converted. But Ananias, a guy we've never heard of before or since, is told of, told by God. I, I underline that because just to say, he's not a famous apostle. He's just Ananias, an obedient believer. And he goes, he's not the one who died earlier or later. Right? It's a different guy. <laughs> He is sent, <laughs> you'll be happy to know, hand came out of the grave, God bless him. No, no. He goes to him and uh, he says to him, 
entering the house, notice he says in verse 17, brother Saul, okay, brother. He's a Christian brother. The Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road uh, by which you were coming and sent me that you may regain your sight and, phrase often missed, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias laid hands on Paul three days after his conversion that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's testimony. There's no reference here uh, to speaking in tongues, uh, though he does say later, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Uh, so that's just all we're going to notice there. Then we're going to look at Acts 10, so that's the next one. So we've seen Acts 2, Pentecost, we've seen Acts 8, Samaria, Acts 9, the Apostle Paul, Acts 10, Peter goes to the home of Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, a Gentile, uh, one that Jewish people like Peter would normally have nothing to do with, because if you did have something to do with them, you become ceremonially unclean. You're not allowed to enter the temple. You've mixed with Romans. That's what happened to the tax collectors. They mixed with Romans. They were socially outcast. And... Uh, Peter is now went into a, a Roman centurion's home with all the misgivings. You know the background to that story, I'm sure. And it says that he's scared to preach, to be honest. You know the story. He sees the sheep come down from heaven and everything. And while he's in this home, Peter is preaching. Verse 44, it says this. While Peter was still speaking... These words, he's just talking about Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the previous verse. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who've received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them. He didn't ask them to, they might like to consider it. He ordered them uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here you've got Peter preaching actually the gospel and he's just got to the kind of nub of the message about forgiveness and who Jesus is and the Spirit falls upon the people. Here, you've got people saved and flooded with the Spirit, same day, same moment. Uh, they speak in tongues. Uh, I think it's just they prophesied, doesn't it? Uh, they are full of God. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They were exalting God. Sorry, they were speaking in tongues, exalting God. So, here's a group who get the whole lot in one go. And it's interesting, the next chapter, and obviously this experience is a key one, because Luke, who wrote Acts, tells it twice. He, he tells you the story in Acts 10, and then he tells you what happened in Acts 11, when Peter goes back to Jerusalem and tells the apostles what happened. Because they said, what are you doing with Gentiles? I said, it wasn't me, it was God. I never touched them. And uh, it's like, because they're saying, you're with Gentiles. And we, it's hard for us to get into their world. But uh, it's a huge thing that happened. And so God superimposed, if you like, his hand over and did such a phenomenal thing. Then the last one, the last one I want to look at is in Acts 19. Acts 19, 
Paul arrives at Ephesus and found some disciples, it says, the end of verse 1 of Acts 19. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Or it can be translated, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said to him, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptised? They said, John's baptism. We need just to pause a moment. The Bible says he found some disciples. It would appear that Paul thought that they were Christian. But he also observed there's something missing here and asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They, get, they reply, what are you talking about? We don't know about the Holy Spirit. He says, what were you baptised into then? What's the deal here? And they said, we were baptised into John's baptism. In other words, in fact, they are disciples of John the Baptist. That's the reality. John the Baptist had phenomenal impact. It says all of Judea went out to hear John the Baptist. I don't think that necessarily means every house was empty, but it means vast crowds. And it was the biggest renewal awakening in Jewish history. John had phenomenal impact and his message spread even around the Mediterranean. He had followers, he had disciples. So that's what Paul has encountered here. They said, well he said in verse 3, what were you baptised? They said, John's baptism. Well what was John's baptism? It was repent, prepare the way of the Lord, wasn't it? It was, it was a baptism of repentance. So Paul explains to them, verse 4, John baptised with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. Obviously this is very abbreviated, but what he's saying is he told them about Jesus. He brought to them the full message of Christ. When they heard this, verse 5, they're baptised. In other words, they're baptised again, like many would have been in Judea who were baptised by John the Baptist. When Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, is risen and Peter says, now be baptised. A lot of those would have been baptised by John earlier in that awakening, that get the way, the way ready. These guys are now baptised in the name of Jesus. In other words, they are now proper Christian. Then, it says this, verse 6, and you imagine they're standing there dripping with water, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So here's people who are saved as they hear, or they're prepared, if you like, by John the Baptist, get ready message. They're saved when they hear about Jesus. Then, on the same day, Paul lays hands on them and the Spirit falls upon them. Now, those are the five cases. You, I think you'll find there's not any other clear record that we can draw from elsewhere, but right through Acts, these are the cases. I'd like just to kind of ask some questions. First of all, there are factors like the laying on of hands that are sometimes there, not always there, but frequently there. Also, spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues, are often there, though not referred to on every occasion. All right, so just to make that point. I want to come back then to what I said I found when I was searching. That I, I read someone like John Stott, who wrote a book on the subject, and who said, you have got everything automatically at conversion. And now I don't want to um, belittle John Stott, he's one of my heroes, he's a great man of God, a really truly humble, godly man. 
Nevertheless, I don't think what he says stands up to scripture in the case of these people. But if you said those who heard, for instance, from Philip and got saved, when Peter and John come up and lay hands on them, they could not say, no, we've got everything. We've got everything at conversion. Thank you. They haven't. It's just so. They lay hands on them. Then they got what was previously missing. The Apostle Paul's testimony would have to be, I was saved on the Damascus Road. I saw the Lord. Then Ananias laid hands on me three, hands on me three days later and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Days later, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. We find in Cornelius' home, the Spirit fell. Splosh. As they're hearing. The Bible says. We find in Cornelius' home, the Spirit fell. Splosh. As they're hearing. And so we cannot say, it's impossible to get filled with the Spirit. And so we cannot say, it's impossible to get filled with the Spirit at the same time as being converted. Because it is possible. Cornelius had that experience. He's very much the exception, but he had that experience. Acts 19, there are people who are led to Christ. They're led to Christ. And while they're still dripping, hands are laid on them and the Spirit falls upon them. So the first teaching that says you automatically, by virtue of conversion, have been baptized in the Spirit, these guys don't fit that. It doesn't fit. You can't say it. The, Philipp- the guys in Samaria said, well, it didn't happen to us. Paul would have to say, it wasn't my experience. And so on. It's not automatic, all right? It can happen. It happened to Cornelius, but it's not automatic. And so that evangelical uh, teaching does not stand up in the book of Acts. And as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, you say you've got it. And he said, he said this is the biggest sin against the Spirit. This is the biggest quenching of the Spirit in the modern church to say you've got everything at conversion. He feels that seriously about it. He said, look at, the, look at what happened in the book of Acts. How can we possibly say we've got everything? Look at what they were like once they did receive the power from on high. So that teaching that says it's automatic is not, doesn't stand the test. Secondly, the teaching that says, well, and it's usually allied to that, you gradually get filled with the Spirit. That, that's something that you gradually mature with, that the John Stott teaching would say that, that you've received that conversion, then as you grow in grace, you are gradually being filled with the Spirit. Now, obviously the Bible does talk about growing in grace. There's nothing wrong with that teaching. We must teach that you grow in grace. You keep maturing, hopefully. But there's nowhere that that is associated with receiving the Spirit. The receiving of the Spirit is not allied to having grown in grace. That's not how it happened. When Paul went to the guys at Ephesus and says, did you receive the Spirit? They said, no. At the end of the day, if he'd said, have you received the Spirit now? They'd say, yes. Wouldn't they? They wouldn't say, well, I expect I'll grow into that. They said, no, we got it now. And they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. That idea that you gradually grow into receiving the Spirit is not what it says. Have you received it? No. Bang! Have you received it? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Not a gradual growing into it. It's not what it actually says. Also, what I call the Keswick Doctrine, again, that concept that you don't get everything at conversion, but as you, as you yield, maybe at some later crisis, that was what was a, uh, attached to that kind of doctrine. There comes a later crisis 
of devotion, of surrender, was a very popular word, of emptying out the cup, saying, Lord, I hand over. I've been a Christian for a while, now I hand over. Now fill me. Now, I'm not saying people don't have real experiences of the Spirit, but again, it doesn't tie in with Scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't say, well, you better go and you know, surrender a bit later on. Have you received? No. Bang. Have you received? Yes. It's, it's immediate. And then the one other teaching which I mentioned, I called it Pentecostal, which at the time when I was searching, it seemed to be saying, go to what they called a tarrying meeting. And they were still being held in those days, I don't know if they still are, where people would go and literally kind of try and reenact the day of Pentecost. They would go into a room and wait. I've met people who have been in waiting rooms for years. I mean, honestly, wait years. They've got. I've, I've met people, I've been through the scripture, and they said, but I've been waiting for years. Because they, they, that doctrine was, when you speak in tongues, you know you've got it. So they're waiting to speak in tongues. Then they come back next week to the tarrying meeting and wait, and then come next week and wait. So that, that, I don't think that stands up to scripture either. Let me say this. After the day of Pentecost, no one is ever told to wait. Before the day of Pentecost, that's the word. Now, you've got to go, but wait in Jerusalem. That's where we started. Wait until you receive power from on high. Jesus told the originals to wait, but no one else. It wasn't when Paul was converted. Ananias didn't say to him, oh, you're going to be an apostle. You better go and find an upper room somewhere. Go and wait. You know, when Philip came down to Samaria and preached, then Peter and John came down. They said, oh, we found a room. Go and wait somewhere. No, they laid hands on them. They received straight away. The waiting is only until the day of Pentecost. Why? What's that all about? Why is it like that? I wonder if you could just turn with me to John chapter 7, which is the, mo- the place where I'll kind of mostly be now. John 7. This is one of those rare occasions where Jesus spoke about the Spirit. John 7, it says this, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his belly, innermost being, heart, whatever you translate that, guts, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, it says here, or the word isn't, it just was not yet actually, because Jesus was not yet Glorified. Now, this is such an important verse. Such an important verse. Imagine Jesus stood out, and it was on the day when they were commemorating the journey through the wilderness and how God provided for them. And there would have been an enactment by the high priest pouring out water publicly as a reminder of God's provision in the wilderness. That was what was being celebrated at these great feast days. And on that day, Jesus shouted out publicly. It's like a big prophetic statement. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. 
It's like, I am the fulfillment of the type. There's the type, I'm the authentic. That's what he's doing. He's shouting out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. If you'd said, yes, please, he'd said, well, not yet, actually, not yet. That was a kind of prophecy, not yet. <laughs> that, that's what it says, doesn't it? It says, this, but the spirit was not yet given. Why? Because, well, look at the state you're in. I mean, have you prayed? How long did you fast? Have you cried a lot? No, it's nothing, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with them. He doesn't say, the Spirit is not yet given, because what a mess. No, because I am not yet glorified. It was not to do with them, it was to do with him. The Spirit's not yet given because he was not yet glorified. In other words, the cross, the resurrection, and especially the ascension. Then you see on the day of Pentecost, the verse I referred to, Peter, preaching in Acts 2, said, as I pointed out at the beginning, Peter said, he now, being exalted at the right hand of the Father, has received this, which you can now see and hear. He's poured out. In other words, Peter virtually preached on this verse. Do you understand? Peter is saying that he is exalted, he is glorified. And the day is gone. So, come and receive. Yeah. If anyone's thirsty, come. The promise is for you and your children, for as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's what he's saying. It's for you now. You can have it now. And from that day on, no one was ever told, wait. Because the waiting was to do with Jesus being glorified and the day of Pentecost being fulfilled the day of harvesting and the day of giving of the law. I won't get into all that, but that's what Pentecost was commemorating. Now the Spirit is going to be given out. Great harvest is going to come in and the law is going to get written on people's hearts on the inside. It's the fulfillment of a great historic event. But the day is now, we don't have to wait any longer. So no one was told, now go and find somewhere to wait now. So for us, dear friends, Bring it right up to date. Where are we? We're right in this verse. Because we don't have to wait anymore. You say, but am I ready? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Well, the promise is to you then. Wow. See, Cornelius, he's a Gentile dog. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, Gentile, unclean Gentile. I mean, no wonder Peter staggered. The Spirit came on him. This is a Gentile pagan. Let me just say this. The Spirit believes in justification by faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? The directly that guy believes, he's clean. So you think, am I worthy? Am I ready? Did I pray? It's got nothing to do with it. This is a Gentile dog. He's a, he's a Roman centurion. He's, he's, he's unclean, unclean. No, the Holy Wow, how did that happen? Because he's justified freely, therefore fully qualified. Beloved, that's the only qualification you need in this room this morning. I belong. Oh, you belong with the promises to you then. The promises to you then. But am I? No, it's nothing to do with you. You can be as bad as a centurion. Maybe you're not that bad. Maybe you're not like centurions who went around crucifying people and did terrible things. Directly believed, he qualified. Hallelujah. So if anyone, Jesus says this, it's up to date now, because he is now glorified. So let me take you through it. If anyone is thirsty, do you know that's the only qualification I can see in the text? At the end of Pete's message, I, I've rarely been in a meeting 
where you know people say, God, me, me, please, Lord. At the end, it's just beautiful. We're saying, we're thirsty. That's all you need, thirst. Not if anyone's holy, if anyone's prayed a lot, if one's very impressive. It doesn't, doesn't say that. <laughs> if anyone's thirsty, that's all it says. You only have to be thirsty. That's, all, that's the only thing, thirsty. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I was at a conference in America, and I'll just throw in a few anecdotes here. I was in a conference in America a couple of years ago, and, and a guy came up to me in the interval between sessions. He said, something you said when you preached. I said, yeah. He said, uh, you seem to imply that receiving the Spirit was different to conversion. I said, yeah. He said, do you believe that? I said, yeah, I do. He said, I've never heard that. He said, can you explain? So we're between sessions, like we've just had the tea break, literally, at a conference. So I sat down with him, went through some verses, and he said, wow, he said, I've never seen that. He said, can I have that? I said, yeah. I said, now? He said, really? I said, yeah. So I laid hands on him. We asked for the Spirit. The Spirit came on him. He's praising God in tongues. He's a happy Larry. I mean, he's just a happy bunny. He's there. He's a pastor. Happens to be there. He said, oh, oh, oh. I mean, he's just speaking in tongues, enjoying God. Do you know, in another interval, a lady came up to me in the same conference. And she said to me, I've just picked up your book, No Well-Worn Paths, on the, in the bookshop. I said, oh, good, enjoy it. She said, well, she said, you say in the first chapter you were converted. Then you say, a couple of chapters later, you were filled with the Spirit. I said, yeah. And she said, I don't believe in that. So I said, well, God bless you. you know. <laughs> and she said, and she, said she, uh, she said, well, I don't believe it. I said, well, hallelujah. You know. And she, and she said, she argued a bit. And I said, no, it's all right. You know, you just look at it. And she said, can I have that? Will you pray for me? I said, no, I won't pray for you. She said, why not? I said, you don't believe it. <laughs> well, she, she didn't. She didn't believe it. But what she wants, she didn't, wasn't persuaded. She wasn't really thirsty. But she was saying, actually, will you wave the wand over me? Maybe. And I just said, no, I won't. But do keep reading. Keep researching. Because I thought, you're not really thirsty. You're a little bit upset with me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, no, I won't pray for you. Yes, right. But the first guy, I mean, he was just... Can I have that? It was totally new to him. Yeah. He, he never. He said, "Wow!" He was really thirsty. Jesus says, "If you're thirsty, not all right. I'll come. See if you can do it to me." No, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone is thirsty, not holy, not not. I, went, I was in Bangalore in India, Hyderabad. Actually, I was in India, and I preached on the baptism of the Spirit, and I, and I said, "Right now, we're going to pray." And the whole congregation started crying. It was weird. I said, what is going on? It's so weird. And I said, I said stop. And I literally stopped. What is going on? They like, so I said, what's happening? Are you receiving the spirit? No. So what's with the crying? Well, we thought you had to kind of cry to get it. We thought you had to kind of be a bit emotional and, oh, please, please, oh, boo. It's a wrath of what is going on? And I, I said to him, when Jesus hit a storm, he said, peace, be still. I said, peace, be still. 
Let's come and drink. I mean, so sometimes we just have to clear. It's, to be honest, dear friends, it's not always we've, got a, we've invented things that clutter our minds. We have certain expectations. It's very emotional. It's very crazy. It's this and that. No, no. Just the reason I'm taking time is clear that away. Clear that away. Because in the end, it's as simple as it was this guy saying, I'd like that. Whammo. Got it. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's, if you just get rid of the nonsense, we don't need it. If anyone's thirsty, come to me, Jesus said. In the end, Pete said, and I'd love to, for us to be able to do this in a few moments, if people would like to be prayed for, it could be at the end of the session, could be while we're away here this whole weekend, we just come and be prayed for. Now, Jesus has come to me and drink. Now, if you look at the various passages, you'll see Peter and John laid hands on the Samaritans. Paul laid hands on the Ephesians. Ananias laid hands on Paul. The laying on of hands is perfectly biblical. Paul writes to Timothy, to stir up the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. That laying on of hands is a very biblical thing. But you are coming to Jesus. The day I, I, I in the end, I got, I got absolutely so thirsty. I was struggling between this view and that view. And then I was just humiliated by my own absolute weakness. And I thought, I've got to get through on this. God made me very thirsty. I thought, I cannot bear missing every opportunity to witness. Because I was leading Bible studies by that time inside the church. But outside the church, I was hopeless. I could not bear witness to Jesus. And Jesus said, you receive power, you'll bear witness. I thought, I want that. And there's a guy who used to uh, have lunch with in London quite often. And uh, whenever we met, we'd share a table at a, sometimes, you know, a busy table at a restaurant or cafe in London, and, uh, and he would never fail to witness to the guy. If someone was near us, he'd say, tell me about Jesus, and give him literature, and give him a tract. And I used to sit there dying, I think, oh, don't do that. And I, 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 was, I was so scared, like Peter before Pentecost, and I, and I say goodbye to him, and I go back to my office, he walked back down Piccadilly, I see him giving out tracts to people, he's walking down the street giving out tracts, I think, oh, God. I love your liberty, but I can't get anywhere near it. And I just said to him, please, what is it? He said, oh, I've been baptized with the Spirit. I said, I want it. He said, come to my church next Sunday. So I went to London, went to his church on the Sunday, and the guy came around the circle, and he's laying hands on people. He's the pastor. He said, pastor, I'll lay hands on you. So the pastor went around the circle, and there was a famous preacher there called Howard Carter that weekend. And he went around the circle. And, and, they, and he put the hands on my head, and prayed a prayer and went on to the next person. And you know, what? you never guess what I felt. I felt hands on my head. <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone. And I'm, I'm thinking, I was absolutely down the tube. I thought, what? I'm waiting, where, what? Because I believe that what happened in that moment, I stopped coming to Jesus because the man came in the room. Oh, here he comes. Wow. And that one, that one, it's me next. Here comes the man. And I think in that moment I got my eyes off Jesus because here's the man. I would encourage you, don't look at the man, come to Jesus. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. You come to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you drink. I remember speaking to a young couple, one of my... My only couple of old friends that got saved, all my friends I got to church once, but I couldn't keep them. But one couple got saved, 
And they invited me to their home one evening to speak to them about being baptized with the Spirit. And uh, I'm halfway through my explanation. It's absolutely true. Halfway through the explanation, going through verses like we've been doing here. And then the husband says to the wife, he said, well, just get some coffee for us, dear. So she says, yeah, I'll go and get some coffee. And I'll carry on after the coffee. So she goes out into the kitchen. She runs back in and says, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. So I thought, huh? She, she goes, as she speaks in tongues, oh, it's wonderful. I thought, well, I haven't finished explaining yet. Because <laughs> she came to Jesus. She'd, got, she'd heard enough. I didn't lay hands on her. She's in the kitchen. She ran back in. I had to help the guy because his wife got through first and all. The, <laughs> and it was just, she just took it. She just came. She's in the kitchen making the coffee. She's heard enough. She's heard enough. I've seen people healed like that, dear friends. I'm praying for that. And someone in the throat row says, my pain's gone because they've come to Jesus. You could do it now. And she in the kitchen, she just, oh, and she never looked back. That woman's life was wonderfully transformed because you come to Jesus I came to the man I had to I had to really stop and the guy the guy had gone and my friends came back and said well I just praise God I said praise God what for and I'm trying to get a feeling I'm trying to get something you know just praise God praise him in tongues I said, praise God in tongues come on I'm waiting for a feeling I'm waiting for something and they said, no, no, no. And they took me back to verse after verse after verse. I thought, okay. I'll begin. It says, it says he, the next verse is this. He that believes in me. If anyone's thirsty, come to me, drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says. It's in the end, you believe. It says in Galatians 3, you receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You believe the promises for you. That's what, that's what Margaret did out in that kitchen. She just believed it. The promise is for you. He, it's, in the end, it's, it's not because you earned it. It never will be. See, sometimes people pray and they say, well, I don't think I'm ready yet. I feel like saying, when do you think you will ever be ready? It's like, I'm not worthy yet. When will you ever be worthy? It's a silly, don't go down that path. It's free. But you have to believe, you have to receive through faith. You receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He that believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. That's the, I believe it's the new quality of life. One person I prayed for, I had to leave them when I came back. They were speaking in tongues and praising God. And, and they said, wow, it's like a river flowing. I understand what Jesus meant. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's what that verse is meaning. But, yeah, speaking in tongues, it is like out of your innermost being. Something is flowing out from within you. God is doing that in us. It's for us immediately because we are his. I remember again uh, preaching at Hove Town Hall where we used to do uh, celebrations sometimes in our church at home. And I remember a lady came to me. She, she, she got saved. And uh, uh, it was lovely. She got saved. And she said to me, there's more, isn't there? She sensed. The presence of God in the meeting. She just said, there's more. She was a student in Brighton. Her name was Celia. I remember very vividly. She said, she said there's more. I said, yeah, there's more. She said, can I have more? And I said, I said well, come around to home. On, she came the next Saturday, came to uh, Wendy's and my home. And on the Saturday, she came with her friend, whose name was Suraji. And, and her friend was with her. She said, I want what's happened to Celia. 
as she wasn't in the meeting, but Celia got saved. She said, she's a changed woman. I want what she's got. So I had the joy of leading Suraji to Christ. And so I got, so I'm just about, and then Suraji two here. So then Celia says, what about me? So I said, yeah, I forget. I came for the horse. What is it? I want some more. So one's been saved a week. One's been saved 20 minutes. I lay hands on both of them. They both get filled with the Spirit. They're singing in tongues. They went on their way very happy. In one week, she'd not built up much sanctification. In 20 minutes, she wasn't very holy, except she's in Christ. Right? It's a gift. It's for you. It's for us. We just take it. We receive as a gift of God. The Spirit is given because Jesus is glorified. In fact, that old teaching that said, if you really do well, you can get the Holy Spirit later. The kind of Keswick teaching. You get it later. It's like a, it's like a general saying to his army, now men, go and fight. And if you do well, next time you can have a gun. <laughs> it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Jesus says, don't even start until you receive power. It's not, see how well, no, no, wait. And then once the day has come, whammo, they receive. I'd just like to say one or two words about speaking in tongues, and then I'm done. It's not because speaking in tongues is the biggest thing in the world, though nor is it the smallest, but it gets to be a problem for us. Just to notice, it's referred to several times in Acts. Not every time, but several times. It's common when people receive the Spirit that they speak with tongues. But we can often get wrong concepts of what that is like. Very often because we sometimes read books of dramatic things, which are sometimes a little different to the norm, and we're looking for the dramatic. The fact is this, they spoke with tongues, the Spirit gave them the utterance. In other words, they did the tongue speaking. When you speak in tongues, you speak in tongues. Sometimes people will pray and they're waiting. And if you ask them the question, what are you waiting for? They would say, we're waiting for God to speak in tongues. They may not express it that way, but that's what they're kind of thinking. But God doesn't speak in tongues. You do. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They did the speaking. When you speak in tongues, you do the speaking. So you must not become passive. I've prayed for people over the years. Sometimes people will kneel down, they put their face in an armchair right in the pillow, and they're, they're waiting. You think, God's got to get their face out of that pillow. He's got to smack. You know, it's like, you've you just got to come to meet God. All right? And speaking with tongues, sometimes praying with little children is the easiest, because they're, oh, what do you, oh, okay, they're away. They're uncomplicated people. We just need to come and speak. And the speaking is using your normal speech apparatus. Your breathing, your vocal cords, your tongue, teeth and lips. That's how it works. But what comes out is a language you've never learned. Now, it's really like Elisha saying to the woman who'd run out of oil, collect as many vessels as you can, and they collected them, and then he said, now pour it out and fill the vessels. Remember that miracle? What happened when she did that was, it wasn't that she put the vessel in the middle and put all the empty ones around and said, come on oil, go oil, come, go oil, go oil, oil. Go. No, no, she took it 
And she poured what she had. And when what she had went over the lip of the vessel, the miracle was it kept flowing. That was the miracle. It didn't stop. It kept flowing. It kept flowing. It kept flowing. It kept flowing until they got no more vessels to fill. The miracle wasn't that it suddenly gushed up. The miracle was when she began to pour, it, you see the temptation, when he said, now pour it out, I think, oh, that's stupid. It'll go from this one to that one. And that's what sometimes people think in their mind. If I begin to speak in tongues, I will stop. I will just stop. And sometimes you forget that when you're speaking, you, you, you breathe as well. And you may not have noticed that. I've been speaking for a little while. I've been breathing. But I have been, I've been camouflaging that. So at the end of a sentence, I've not stopped and made it evident that I'm at the end of a lungful of it. Yeah, I've just kept on speaking. So you haven't noticed that I've run out. Now when sometimes I pray for people and they speak in tongues. It's finished. No, breathe. Breathe. Oh. See, now people are very nervous. They think, oh, it stopped. What do you mean it stopped? You just need to breathe again. I mean, I'm just being very simple here. But I pray with hundreds of people. And, and we're pretty simple people. And, and we tell, oh, it stopped. No, it didn't stop. Any more than your English would stop when you ran out of a sentence. You know, simple. One other illustration. When Peter sees Jesus walking on the boat, to, uh, walking on the water towards him, he says to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter sits there and thinks, any minute now. <laughs> Is that, was that it? Oh, no, I don't know, that, that, that wasn't it. Oh, oh, I'm going to in a minute. Oh, any minute. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. No, no, Peter used his usual walking apparatus walked to the end of the boat and put his foot down in somewhere else and walked. He used his normal walking apparatus to walk into a dimension he'd never walked before. Speaking in tongues is like that. Use your normal speaking apparatus. Your br breathing, your low vocal cords, you, and so on. you just begin to speak. But you move into a dimension you've never spoken in before. God gives you language and very often satan says to you as he did to me you're making that up i read in a book by don basham he said that is so common to almost be a rule that at first i thought you're just making that up and i stopped i said to the people i'm just making this up they said no just carry on so i said but i'm just no no just carry on okay so i carried on and after a while i'm doing this and then this girl says to me you're very clever making all this up and I suddenly realized I've been going for quite a long time. I think, oh yeah. And you know, in the moment I kind of just received it and relaxed, I felt the power of God go through me in such a way. And if you'd said to me 10 minutes later, you're making that up, I'd have said, <laughs> I don't know what you think, but I know I'm not. And I sat right through a meeting. This was just prior to their evening service. It was a big building and a smallish congregation, which all sat at the front. I sat right at the back with the hand over my mouth and spoke in tongues right through the meeting. About a, I don't know, two-hour meeting. I never stopped. I just drank in the presence of God. Now, time is a challenge. What time do we need to finish? Now we need to pray. We need to pray. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just stand for a moment, shall we? 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask?